0: Hello everyone, I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas Podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Assembly Co-Working Space. Assembly has been home to some of Calgary's brightest tech startups and small businesses for almost a decade. If you're looking for a co-working space, check out assemblycs.com this episode is hosted by jennifer morrison as inception U's learning catalyst and lead program designer jen provides valued leadership guidance meaningful connections and an engaging learning environment to the learners and is deeply dedicated to their success in the inception U programs jen has over 11 years of experience as an educator and received her masters of educational leadership from high tech high graduate school of education in san diego california Jen possesses extensive experience in project-based and experiential learning and design thinking. And now I'll place the microphone in Jen's capable hands for her thought-provoking conversation with author and curiositist David Godette. Take it away, Jen.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Jen Morrison. I'm here for the Libby podcast today. Uh, I am the learning catalyst and lead program designer at Inception U. And today I'm really excited to talk to a fabulous human being, Dave Godette. Welcome, Dave.
2: Well, already I feel like I'm perhaps uh, not going to meet the bar you've set, but thank you for having me. <laughs>
1: I have no worries about you exceeding that bar, Dave. So I want you to just start with telling me about yourself. What were you like as a child? And are there core parts of kiddo Dave that have influenced the evolution of your work? Hmm.
2: Well, I feel I should be on a psychologist couch now. Can I Can I answer that question horizontally? It's, it's really interesting that we have this conversation now and, and that the talk begins with a question like that because... I feel um, at my age at my stage of life <clears throat> very reflective on all of that and as as a result I've been really kind of looking back to how I got here you know what were some of the turning points in my life and the stages of my life and mistakes that I made there and I'm almost thinking that there's a book in there somewhere that needs to be documented if only for myself you know, there's nothing extraordinary about me or my life. But I guess if you were to look closely, everybody has an extraordinary story to tell. I guess I was an entrepreneur early, selling sketches of dinosaurs in my grade one class. I loved sketching dinosaurs like most uh, kids. Even in the era when I was a kid, dinosaurs were fascinating. And, and so anyone that could sketch them was somewhat revered. and And I found that this combination of finding a passion and having other people value it was intriguing. Fast forward uh, into my teenage years and the fascination moved from dinosaurs to rock music and the penchant for wanting to be in a rock band. And a couple of failed attempts at that led me to broadcast school where I parlayed that into being a a radio DJ, like in the old sense of the word DJ. Went to school at Sate and uh, came out of that and started about a 10 or 12 year broadcast career, mostly in radio, but a little smattering of television and some some movie making and a couple of tangents into journalism as well. Communications then really began to take root as what would be a part of who I was. My first kind of official entrepreneurial pursuit came after that, started a marketing research company, serving selling information to media outlets who wanted to know more about their audience habits. I was always fascinated and continue to be curious about just consumer behavior, listener behavior, audience behavior. And that led to that company, which then transitioned to uh, a yet another sort of communications endeavor, which was was rather than collecting information, it was providing information for big companies, primarily in the energy sectors, public affairs and public relations specialists. And that, you know, it's funny when you look back and, and you see how these somewhat jagged career patterns always seem to have an attachment point at somewhere in the, in the, in the pathway. I happened to be doing some consulting with Sate, funny coming full circle. I was doing some brand management for Sate in the late nineties and literally was Johnny on the spot when someone didn't show up to teach an evening course. And I was asked if I could, and I barely asked what it was on before I was in the classroom teaching and it was just intoxicating. And that has been the primary part of my professional existence through this, uh, new millennium, which we referred to it back in the early 2000s. I've been a teacher and educator ever since, written some textbooks along the way in the field that I specialize in, which is marketing, and and have become a a parent. And I guess branching off that into these different directions, which included the podcasting and the book and all these other things that I'm dabbling in, including work with you, Jen, at Inception U.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, there you go. Have you always been, Dave, like... I love your journey and I relate to it a lot because I think it's easy. Like when you're younger in your teens, you have this idea of what your life path is going to look like. And often it goes way different than what you expect. Have you always been open to those parts of your journey, the uncertainty that can arise or, or, you know, have there been times where that you felt resistance to that kind of change?
2: In some ways I wish I would have been less open you know, I, I look back now and I still find, even in this age of greater self-awareness and reflection, I still find myself in this comparison trap where I look at my peers, most of whom are at or or nearing retirement. Their kids have, have left the house. They're virtual empty nesters. and And here I have these two little darlings in my house who are not even in high school yet. One of them just started high school. And so I see myself still sort of working in the field for for several more years. And I think, geez, it would be nice to kind of be at that stage now and to be able to kick back with feet up and, you know, I don't know, watch some football on a Sunday afternoon and do those kinds of things. And I think that that would have come from a path more often traveled, a more predictable career path, a path where I you know, would have declared to the world in, you know, the mid 80s when I was going to college, I will be an engineer or I will be a lawyer or I will be this and I will serve the world in that way. But I didn't. And and so that the other part of me has to say, that's okay. That's their path. This is yours.
1: Absolutely. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think it's really easy to look back and say, well, I wish I would have done this or that, but the reality is we, we are where we are. And so I, I appreciate your perspective on that. And I also, I don't know, I relate a lot to it. I mean, that my own journey has been one of lots of different pivots and shifts and changes. But when I think about the work that I'm doing now, what I'm creating and how I'm creating it and the team that I get to work with, that has all led to that point, right? Like it's, you know, to be able to step into the work I'm doing now was because of those experiences in the past. And I get to now work with people like yourself, which is really which is really fun and collaborate and learn together and learn uh, from you. So I want to talk about um, the competency-based learning because this is obviously core to a lot of your work, not just presently, but I feel like that's been building for a long time. What prompted your curiosity with competency-based learning? And then tell me about the spark to create the daily undoing.
2: I think it came from two different directions that have, as you might expect, an overlap. There's always an overlap and an unexpected link somewhere. The the first one was we were working on this sort of reimagined version of a marketing textbook. We being myself and a a co-author that I worked with and is still a good friend of mine. And we still do some work together. His name is Mark Boivin. He's a prof at U of C. And we had been recruited by a major canadian higher education publisher to basically you know here's a here's a blank canvas redo in your eyes what you see a marketing curriculum being like today and what what a gift for a couple of pseudo academics but but more full-blooded entrepreneurial people as well to be given that blank canvas and so what we did first was strip away you know half the things that that a traditional marketing textbook includes which are pure dribble to the average student going through that course and then we decided that we were going to do something truly what we considered innovative and still is innovative because there's no book nor curriculum that that does this we were going to insert and weave into the theory all of these future skills these essential skills that we had been i think in our own way role modeling but never teaching but had also been told point blank by focus groups that we'd been doing in preparation for this project from industry people, you know, you're, you're churning out technically adept students, but almost, I'd hate to use the word soft skills. I despise it, but that's the one that kept coming up. So we, we kept hearing this and we knew it. And, and so we wanted to weave some of those into it. So we made a list of, of you know, dozens of what these soft skills were and came up with what we considered to be the five that that seemed to surface the most in that research. So it started in a very practical way. That would have been maybe, I don't know, 2015, something like that. So that project um, came out, was launched largely because of that twist to it was really unsuccessful. I mean, faculty across Canada just couldn't get their head around that They now had to teach communication and teach critical thinking and design thinking and so on. So uh, I wouldn't call it a colossal failure. It was It's still one of the most practiced thing that, I, that I've done professionally, but I didn't catch on. That bugged me and I couldn't get it out of my system and started to do this podcast in which I was, I was going to cast my own light in my own way on this, uh, this absence of competencies and, and illuminating just their everyday existence, but they're, <clears throat> they're very rare. And, and at the same time, I started to feel this, this profound sense of, guilt that I was part of this problem. I'd been doing more reading about the, the disruption of higher education and education in general, and that the day of reckoning was coming. And, you know, the traditional classroom was broken and was not fit for the 20th century, Sir Ken Robinson, all that stuff. And I felt I'm part of this factory. You know, I'm, I'm just a worker on the floor churning out student after student year after year after year i can't just stand by idly anymore so there was this emotional feeling this need to express this as well and by 2020 i uh, i went all in on this daily undoing podcast which i had been doing for about two years but never with a with a intensive focus on on a specific framework of competencies and ways to practice them and that's what 2020 was all about and i went into the year um you know as everyone else did, not knowing that there was this enormous uh, tsunami of a pandemic coming our way, planning to do a, an accompanying book at the end of the year. And this, this thought of brilliance in my head was that I was going to script out these podcasts, this, these little 60 second podcasts every day, highlighting a competency in a way to practice it. And I would simply take those scripts and, you know, copy and paste onto a manuscript and submit it to a publisher. And that, that's sort of how it happened, but there were a couple of twists along the way that uh, were largely a result of the pandemic and, and the way that that threw us all for a tailspin. So, so those are the two paths. One was a practical, the world needs more of these things. The other one was more emotional. I haven't done enough to promote these things. you know. And by this time, I, I mentioned that I was also a father and I thought, this isn't just for the classroom. This is for, for life. And this is for these two really important human beings that is my ultimate responsibility to set them up for a future that they can help build with the rest of the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That, I, I really appreciate your touching on that reflective piece for yourself and, and recognizing what do I need to continue to learn You know, and how can I contribute in a different way? And I think it's really interesting that you said you put this idea out there. You know, had a different approach with the work within the marketing learning in that that textbook that you'd helped to write, and there was some pushback with that. And I often think when we have ideas uh, that are innovative or are different than what I guess is the norm or that comfort zone for a lot of people, I sort of think that's an indicator that we're on the right track. So. I think it's really interesting that you've continued to explore this, even though there was some resistance uh, to the idea.
2: Well, and there still is. There still is, Jen, and I'll give you a really good example. As a marketer, I should know better, but I think as a human being, I feel the message is is just too um, too widespread and too important to sort of narrowly focus to a like what we like to call in marketing a target market, a very specific you know cohort of this ultimate. Persona that we like to do in marketing, and I, I I can't get my head around the fact that this has a wider and greater impact to make. So I um, I did as all marketers do. I went and advertised this product, this book of mine, through social media advertising before Christmas, and and I sold. You know, I, I, it resulted in exactly what advertising is supposed to do. It resulted in some sales, and I was looking at some of the reviews on Amazon recently. And there were a couple that were quite negative. But, you know, these are the ones I learned the most about. And the ones I've always been this way, I've always, and it's not really, it's not really focusing on the negative. To me, it's just focusing on the why and the question. So anyway, so one of the comments was, and I think it was a one-star comment, but she took the time to explain. And she said, I thought this was a book that I was going to read and learn from but instead it's a workbook which you know in fairness I that wasn't in the description of the book and she said you know half the the pages are half empty for me to work in and there's a venn diagram that I need to scribble in and I took from that to mean you know what this isn't for everybody this is without this particular person's remarks this is for people that really want to commit to doing something themselves and this reviewer may have that commitment but but it manifests in different ways but to your point you know the the pushback is uh is everywhere for anything innovative and i think that that it's something that you have to accept you know fail fast fail often all of that stuff it's not gibberish and it's not you know lofty quotes to put on boardroom walls. It's it's meaningful. And I think you learn from that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So the two thoughts that come to mind with what you were just saying, I feel like if there was a perfect way of learning or if there was a perfect environment for everybody in the world, the world would be a really boring place, right? Uh, so we need different ideas and we we need different approaches for people to be able to, you know, dig their teeth into and, and step into. And at the same time, I think it's really interesting, this idea that sometimes can come out like that woman was saying about, well, I thought this was going to be a book I was going to read and learn from. But then the flip side of that is the action, right? Like changing the habits, changing how we're approaching things and practicing these competencies that you're talking about. And I want to, I want to dig into this a little bit more. And I love how you called the daily undoing, being better at being human, I just, I think it's really fascinating. And, you know, when I started to look at the book myself, you know, the competencies that are the pillars in your book, curiosity, creativity, problem solving, collaboration, communication, character, citizenship, and critical thinking. It's so interesting to me how we assume we know how to do these things, right? And that well, we're, we're an adult, uh, we're a professional. I don't need to practice these anymore because I'm this many years into my career but i'm really curious about why do you think these competencies matter and if we pay conscious attention to them how are they going to impact us as individuals and then our community what are your thoughts there
2: well i think you touched on it that there is this prevailing assumption that the older we get the more as just as our you know our brains develop and our vocabulary widens and in some cases if we if we put in the reps our Our muscles develop and, you know, we we become better skiers or better this, better that, better chefs. and We perfect our crafts in whatever number of ways we do, but we don't work on these things. And so we just assume that when we need them, that we'll be able to, you know, flick on the pantry light and everything will be there. At arm's length, and we just sort of take it out and use it and put it back, and that's just not the case. I think these competencies are the same as anything else; that they lay dormant until used and exercised. And I think, with regards to their impact to individuals or impact to community by way of individuals, is enormous. It became a very cathartic experience for me after release of all times. So we're going back now, April. 2021 when it came out and in marketing this book I found myself you know pulling clips from it pulling pages from it and examples from it and putting it out on social media uh, or, or blogging about it I started to blog in early 2021 because I didn't have time to do a daily podcast but I still wanted to express these things and widen them out and I started to think I mean if you if you read some of those blogs they're extremely confessional it's sort of like Here's what I said that citizenship requires or character, you know, which are two of the more, you know, deeply accountable competencies that we have. Here's what I said that that should be done, and and I'm just not doing them. And I've got kids to raise, and I've got students to to have a positive influence upon. And I'm just not I'm not cutting it. And, and then things began to happen, you know, in, in the spring of 2021, we had the, you know, the horrible discovery of the indigenous grave sites at schools, residential schools, and the anniversary of George Floyd's uh, murder and, you know, no end and COVID, you know, forever in the background, dividing us more and more and more and just this propensity to take sides and to or to turn blind eyes on all this stuff you know it made me think that you know and, and i state this in the book I'm, I'm not the goober on this this is not some sort of superior human being anointing you know everyone else as subordinates who must now follow me i'm very clear that these are things that i've discovered but what became more clear is that these are things that i've discovered that i i need to continue to practice myself no one's immune from this and what happens when we do practice whether it's my eight or you know the oecd's 30 or you know there's a gentleman in the states bruce griffiths who has like 30 of them or something it doesn't matter which ones and which list just be be more aware of them and the subtitle can't help but becoming true you will be better at doing your job as a human being.
1: You know, I appreciate everything you've shared just now because from my perspective, that's a big pull for me to also wanna work with you. There's a vulnerability there that I think is so amazing. And I appreciate that you are approaching this from the, the place and point of view that you're always needing to learn more about these things. And I think it's really great that you're saying, I'm not the sage on the stage. I'm not anointing everybody with how to do these things effectively. I'm doing the work actively right now. You know, I'm inviting you to to join me. So I, I just think it's, I really appreciate that part of you, Dave. So in terms of the daily undoing and this work around competency-based learning and doing the work within yourself, like how is that impacting your work now you can touch on the work itself you can touch on relationships that are you know forming with people in the community do you want to share a little bit about that
2: well i've certainly made a more conscious effort to highlight these things as an educator whereas in the past as i said the best i would do or was conscious of doing was to sort of role model what critical thinking looks like you know when i'm teaching a business analysis and, you know, the old SWOT analysis component of strategy and, you know, looking at two sides of an issue as perhaps being both a strength and a weakness at the same time. That was role modeling. Now I'm more actively highlighting. When doing this, you know, friends, you are practicing your critical thinking and critical thinking is. I don't use the word competencies a lot. The vernacular just has never resonated, and I don't know if it ever will. But I'll say this is a skill that your employers will need from you, and you'll need to demonstrate it, and you'll need to show that you're able to sit back and not take a side and analyze the situation. This is called critical thinking, and it's a critical skill. So I, I do more of that as an educator in my you know my work at C but I, I do more of it too with my children, you know, the work that, that you and I are doing, Jen, at Inception U, you know, where we're trying to create this, to widen the scope of this book into a series of courses that have deeper impact and, and have a, a more powerful magnifying glass on them, I think brings it out to the world a little bit more as well in a, in a different way. And, and they really help ritualize and operationalize this framework. So I think I'm doing it passively. I'm doing it instructionally and then entrepreneurially as well, you know, which is really about discovering and
1: satisfying needs. Earlier, you talked about meaningful learning and uh, as an instructor or an educator yourself, thinking about how do you create space for that? And at Inception U, Margot talks a lot about, well, not just Margot, all of us at Inception U, meaningful, not mechanical. So I'm curious from your perspective, what is meaningful learning? to you? And then how do you create space for that in the work that you do?
2: You know what I'm discovering a lot more, and and I'm convinced that this is one of the upsides of um, a synchronous online environment. Ironic though it may be, is that meaningfulness comes from togetherness and uh, convening. And I see and not a lot of people believe me when I say this, I see almost more connectedness happening, at least in my classrooms online, than I did for years in person. Now, that may not land right or sit right with with some people who just don't think that it's possible to achieve that. But I'm telling you, I have had more personal conversations with students on screens than I've had person-to-person. So meaningfulness to me, whether it's online, offline, on screen, in, in, you know, face-to-face, I think it's something that we need to strive for comes from this this togetherness, this sense of belonging, that it's learning, working, even if we're remote, can still be together and, um, and can be communal and associative. So I think as long as that becomes uh, a pillar a tenet of any learning environment. I think that that's a component.
1: Oh, I agree 100%. It's interesting thinking about, well, everybody had to transition online in, you know, March 2020, but, you know, a recent cohort that just went through our program cohort six with the full stock developer, they never actually met in person until after the program was done. We had the wrap up after their demo day. And, um, It was fascinating to see the connections that they had created and as you were talking i just wonder i wonder if you know large in part we have been forced to like learn differently and approach these relationships differently hence a conscious effort to do it so i wonder how that's also played into it i'm curious about okay so let's get back to like dig the human who has been your greatest teacher and I know that's a big question, but I want to know, like in your life, who's been the greatest teacher and why?
2: You did me the favor of, of shooting me these questions before. And I, I got to admit, this was one that I stumped over because on one hand, I'm thinking about individuals, right? Like in, in formal relationships with, with educators, teachers that I've had in the past. And certainly there's you know, there's as many of those as anybody else has had. If it's not too much of a cop-out, though, I would say now again, as I become more aware and reflective in my life, and and really, it's not clinging. It is full-on embracing a lifelong learning mentality. I feel that my greatest teacher is more plural, and it's probably my children, and in a way, my students, my wife... In other words, now that I'm kind of thinking out loud, my greatest teacher are those who I meet. And the closer they are to me, the more there is uh, for me to learn from them. And uh, and I know that's that's probably not the direction that maybe you wanted me to go with that, but I'm kind of there. I'm experiencing this, um, this revelation in my world now that I'm still being formed and I'm being molded by those around me. And uh, this whole idea of, of me being the one that bestows knowledge to others, although that's sort of the formal understanding of what I do, I almost see in reverse. And I'm seeing it more clearly that way, that I'm learning, that that I'm the kids are making the parent and the students are making the teacher.
1: I, well, by the way, there's never any direction I ever want you to go. I want you to answer honestly, right, to those questions. And I think what you just shared goes back to that piece you were talking about togetherness and sense of belonging. And I think within that, within those connections are our greatest teachers. So thank you for touching on that. What is currently lighting you up? Like in your life, this can be anything, but what's something that really gets you your heart pumping a little faster or sparks more curiosity? for you. what What's lighting you up right now?
2: Uh, learning what others are getting lit up by. Again, through your cheat sheet you sent me, I immediately went to what's lighting you up because you were vulnerable enough to share that. And I went and looked up her work and desire mapping. Danielle
1: Laporte, Danielle Laporte. Yeah. So for, for those of you listening, Danielle Laporte is a Canadian author. She lives in Vancouver. She wrote a book a few years ago, I want to say 2014, 2013, called the desire map. And that was a really influential, not just read, but active engagement for me to shift a lot of things in my life. So if anyone's interested, you, you know, go check it out, but sorry, let's get back to you. Dave.
2: <laughs> no, and I'm glad that you shared that because I, I had just discovered it through you and I, I'm going to dive in and listen to some of her podcasts and and try and grasp the concepts that she's getting at as well. What I did read or see this morning was all about simplification and I think we need a lot more of that as well. So I'm kinda of like you in that way, Jen, and I, I think that I'm that I'm accurate here in describing that. That element of your personality is that when you are lit up by something, it becomes a bit of an obsession in that moment for a period of time. I am developing a set of courses for Medicine Hat College that is introducing to the world, and it's one of the very few in the world from this, you know, little wonderful community college just south of us here in Alberta. And the diploma is called sustainable innovation. And I was very graciously and humbly tasked with developing most of the courses in this diploma. And each one of these courses, as I go through them, I'm diving like a mile deep into this, into this content and realizing that I was asked to write all this content because I'm thought of as some sort of a subject matter expert in them. And what I've learned is that, you know, what my expertise was was an inch deep and I needed to go a mile deep. And so what as I've been going through this development process, that's what lights me up. So for instance, in the fall 2021, I started my first course, which was all about the the changing perspectives of creativity and how that is a absolute foundation for sustainable innovation. And I I became cognizant of these wonderful contributors to that space that I wasn't aware of and in their work and, and uh, that led me down that rabbit hole and course after course I become lit up to use your words of, of these components of this larger perspective of sustainable innovation and maybe that is the broad answer to your question sustainable innovation just understanding the critical fork in the road we're at now and what we can all do to shape that future, and so the course is—it's basically two parts: is the societal side and the environmental side, and and all these different components to building it. So, right now at this moment, I think I've even unconsciously referenced some of the wisdom from this book. It's called Community: uh, The Structure of Belonging, and the author of this book—I think he's a genius in his own right, but he's a philosopher that has really taken the wisdom quite openly from other philosophers in this space of community building and has, in my mind, kind of turned the whole concept upside down. And I'm just fascinated by by these totally different perspectives on things that we have held, you know, in stone for millennia in human history. So those are the kinds of things that I'm fascinated by. And, and I consume most of my books, I hate to admit, through my ears rather than my eyes. I I'm too lazy or just too multitasking to read a lot. But when I say I'm reading things, it's usually because I'm, I've got my, uh, my Audible account on. So that's, yeah, that's it. But sustainable innovation is a broad topic. Right now, I'm, I'm focused on this whole concept of, of building a, a community of possibility and a community of future and, and a different kind of community.
1: Well, I think a lot of people listening to this, especially in the rainforest ecosystem will relate to that. And I encourage anyone that's actually listening right now to either pause the conversation and think about that question for yourself. You know, what is currently lighting you up and how do you dig into that more? And then also like, how do you find others? You know, how do you create togetherness with others that are also interested in those things? Uh, Because I think from my perspective, when we start to build relationships with people, not just that we have things in common with, but that we're, you know, digging into our curiosities and there's some alignment there. I, I think there's a lot of power and impact and change that can come from that in those, in those relationships. I have one more question, Dave, and you've talked, I think a lot about this throughout, but I'm wondering if you can just really sum up right now in your life. And, and I appreciate that you've shared so much of your journey and, all of the influences and pivots and people that have influenced you for you right now, what do you want to contribute to the world? And then what do you want that impact to be?
2: Well, the, the home run question at the end of the interview here. And again, it's a one for a great pondering as well. As I said, at the beginning and at the risk of sounding repetitive at this stage in my life, I really find myself focusing on just that. On impact and legacy, and and maybe it is just all Maslowian psychology that even though we kind of bounce around this ceiling of self-actualization at various stages of our adulthood, maybe there comes a time when we literally jump through that that ceiling. Right? I'm sure you're if you're listening to this as Jen is. And you, you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You're picturing that triangle and that self-actualization peak, right? And I always think to myself, what does that really feel like? I've taught about it for all these years and studied it and and try to describe what self-actualization is, and I've come to the conclusion. And I teach it this way now that it's all about purpose, and and finding, you know, your purpose and why am I here and all those things. So I I feel now that I'm, I'm more there than I've ever been. And I want to, I want to leave something behind that, that literally leaves the world in a better place than it was when I got here. Now I got here a long time ago. I got here before the world realized that we were on this, this track of self-destruction environmentally, or there were only a chosen select few that, that foresaw our, our patterns of waste and consumption and and saw a connection between that and uh, and a really big problem in the future the, the world was certainly rife with societal issues of inequality in the 60s when I was born and um, and the fact that almost 60 years later that in many ways seems worse than it was then so those are those are two very big colossal, giant issues to to chip away at. And I guess those things I would like to, you know, chip away at, make a dent in, or at least leave behind some indication, something of value that helped those who come after me continue with The, the Daily Undoing book is, I think, a first sort of tangible exhibit for that, developing courses around it, making sure that my children are high-performance practitioners of that philosophy and that they're then able to pass it along to people who they come in contact with. Those are sort of tangible things, but I think, honestly, it doesn't take books and courses and, and companies and entrepreneurialism. I think it, if you are just more conscious of these things, if I'm more conscious of these things and become less cynical less critical, judgmental, on and on and on in my own way, in my own thoughts, because I'm certainly not that way externally, but I don't think you're human if you don't harbor some of those thoughts internally and judge others. I think if if I can rewire the way that I view the world internally and then am able to somehow manifest those things externally, I think I probably have left it better than when I
1: found it. I'm sort of at a loss for words. I think, you know, everything that we've talked about today is impacting me. And I think your perspective and this willingness to just look within and always be learning about yourself, which then impacts how we relate to the world and the relationships we have and the things that we do. I think that's really just a, a beautiful thing. And I'm really grateful that I am so fortunate that I've gotten to meet you. You know, I've only met you within the last couple of months I guess and uh, and I'm excited for what's possible you know with our work but I'm also excited for those of you that are out there listening to if you haven't uh, connected with Dave or you haven't explored the work that he does I encourage you to reach out and make that connection Dave what do you want to share in terms of how people can connect with you find out about the work that you're doing where would you recommend that they go
2: I'm one of these people that has way too many email accounts and digital existences and, and I'm a hoarder of domain names. But the ones that have the most traction now would be simply Daily Undoing. That's, that's the most active place to learn more about my philosophy. That, you know, There's free stuff there, highlighting the eight competencies and instant actions you can practice on them. There's a little competency quiz there, which is kind of fun, that helps you see, in a very lighthearted way, what your sharpest competency is. So I, that's that's sort of the website existence. But I'm more active on social media networks than I am on my website, which I think is the case with most people with limited resources, money and time like me. So Instagram at undoing it. And I believe it's LinkedIn. It's the the same at undoing it as well. Although if you search up David Gadette on LinkedIn you'll find no more than a handful of us and uh and then you'll be able to narrow it down from there. I'm quite active on LinkedIn as well. You know, I teach at SAIT, which is a pretty big institution here in, in Southern Alberta as well, and not that far from a directory there too. So lots of ways to find me. And and currently, at least when we're allowed to be together again without too much fear, I've taken up some sort of pseudo-residence in in your area too, Jen. Thanks to your generosity of you and Margo embracing me into the world of Inception, you, you said earlier on that you were kind to to say some things about meeting me, and I would just want to reverse that and and say the same to you, Jen, I've known you just a little bit shorter time than I've known Margot and um, and Greg and Cheryl and the growing list of people that I've become introduced to at Inception You. And you are truly um, you're truly bending the arc yourself in your own way. And I'm learning from you. And uh, even in this talk, I've, I've learned a lot from you. And so the, the, the feeling of value in the relationship is very mutual.
1: Thank you. Well, I'm grateful that we got the opportunity to have this conversation and, and to connect as we have today. For anyone out there listening, again, reach out and connect with Dave um, and myself. I'll put the, the links and any information that we've talked about today in the show information. And uh, I'll leave all of you with this. You know, those last two questions that I asked Dave, you know, what lights you up and what do you want your impact to be? I encourage all of you to, to think about that, ponder, percolate on that and, and get to work. All right. Have a great day, everybody.
0: If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by Assembly Co-Working Space. If you're looking for a co-working space, check out Assemblycs.com. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.